0: Well, this morning, uh, for a sermon, we're actually going to be looking at um, several different passages. So if you want to follow along, we're going to begin in James chapter one. and we're looking at the supreme goodness of God, the various ways in which the supreme goodness of God is shown to us on a continual basis. And because I, this, this is like, well this is one of those topics. That once again, you feel overwhelmed in trying to express because it, it's the kind of thing, it's like experiential knowledge. You know it when you see it. You know it when you taste it. But to explain it is very difficult. And so I just pray, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to pray for us all this morning that God truly would allow us to see his goodness, to taste it this morning. Because I'm absolutely convinced that once we do, we will never be the same. Father, we're so thankful for this morning. We're so grateful for your word. We praise you for your kindness toward us. You're constantly caring for us and loving us, giving gifts upon gifts upon gifts. You pour out in ways that are just unfathomable. Father, I ask that you this morning would please help us all. Help us to see you, to know you, to know and understand and to see your goodness. Because, Father... If we, if we see you, if we taste you, if we know and we can, we have eyes to see, we will throw ourselves upon you and trust you and hope in you and delight in you as we never have before. Father, this morning, please right now by your spirit, open our eyes. And I thank you that you hear us and you will do this because you love us in Jesus in whom we pray. Amen. Well, the past two sermons that I preached in this little mini-series before I get into this next series is all on this idea of God's supreme greatness, awesomeness, and we looked at, first of all, two weeks ago, I guess it's about three weeks ago now, we looked at the supreme value of God. And I wanted us to see how when one sins against something of infinite value, it requires An infinite cost, which is why only Jesus could make atonement for our sin against God. To understand and to know God, his value is infinite. And when we do that, when we understand his value, and we understand sinning against that infinite value, then it makes complete and total sense why there should be an infinite punishment. And then we looked at the supreme power of God last week. And how God created all things in heaven and earth with a mere word. How he controls the most powerful nations and to him are as a mere trifle. And then how he is involved in the minute details of everyone's lives. We looked at this great God who's awesome in power and might. And now this morning we'll be looking at the supreme goodness of God. And when we see the supreme goodness of God, You know what always happens? If God allows you to see His goodness, it always leads to repentance. And I say always, and let me repeat, always. Because no one can see, no one can taste, no one can know the goodness of God and turn away from it. It's the greatest good of all goods. That would be like a cocaine addict turning away from a mountain of the purest and best cocaine. Not going to happen. We as creatures are addicted to going over to that which we perceive as good. To that which we perceive as good for us. So if I'm going after this over here and it's a lesser good and I see and know and perceive this to be a greater good... I will drop this, turn from this, and go towards the greater good. I will repent. It's the goodness of God when we see it that leads us to repentance. The problem is never his goodness, the problem is us seeing it, knowing it, perceiving it. And here's the, here's the thing that we do all the time. And it, can you not do you not see this in, even in your own life? We often perceive and go after the gifts rather than the giver. Because we don't know what he's like. But once we have eyes to see that God is the greatest of all goods, that he himself is, and that his goodness is of supreme value, ultimate value, then we throw down our idols. We throw them down gladly and we run to him. We no longer see throwing down idols as some sacrifice. Oh no, oh little precious, I don't know, I don't know if I should give up this when I can have that. That's a a problem. Throwing your idols down, sacrificing is a problem with someone not understanding what they're gaining for what they give up. It's always the problem. But when we get it, when we understand it, we gladly throw them away. And then we run to that which is infinitely good. You know what ends up happening when we see God and we come to know God as good? We end up wanting him more than all of his gifts. And then all of his gifts, they change. They now just become constant reminders and expressions of the goodness of our God. We look at the gift and say, man, our God is good. Wow, God, you're so awesome. John Calvin said in his Institutes, For until men recognize that they owe everything to God, that they are nourished by his fatherly care, that he is the author of their every good, that they should seek nothing beyond him, this is what he says, until they realize this, they will never yield him willing service. Nay, he says, unless they establish their complete happiness in Him, they will never give themselves truly and sincerely to Him. We always hold back if we question God's goodness. We always struggle to give Him all of ourselves. We struggle with holding on and grasping and not complete surrender is impossible. If you look at God and if you doubt or question his goodness and you look to the things he's given you you and you find too much goodness in them, you will have a really hard time laying down any idol and turning holding completely to God. So this morning we're going to see that there are several ways in which the supreme goodness of God is expressed and seen all around us. And the first thing I want us to see and contemplate and comprehend is how creation itself declares goodness of God. James 1.17 says, Every, let me repeat, every, every good and every gift, perfect gift, is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation. James is saying, do you realize that everything, anything good Anything that you've ever known is good. Have you ever experienced something and said, Oh, that's good. Oh, that's nice. Oh, that's delightful. Oh, oh, that, that's, that's good. If you've ever expressed it, that came from the Father of lights. That gift was Him. Every good gift is from Him. He gave it to you. Do you know, realize that even when we sin, what we do is we take the gift of God, the gift that He's given to us, and we use it in a way that is selfish against him and against others. So whether we sin or not, what we are, what we have coming to us on a continual basis are God's gifts. So even sinners who are sinning all the time, what they do is they take the gift and they abuse it. They take and they use it selfishly for themselves and in their use of it, they hurt others and then ultimately they go against God. The giver of that gift, and so every gift that's given, and every time they don't either thank God nor glorify God for what He's given to them, it's just more judgment, more condemnation, gift upon gift. But here's the crazy thing: they hate Him, they reject Him, they turn from Him. But what does He do? Here's another gift. Here's another gift. Oh yeah! By the way, this morning here's a gift. You woke up. How was the sleep last night? Gift. How's that beautiful sun, sunrise? Gift. How about the sunset? Gift. Enjoying the weather? Gift. How about your home? Gift. Your work? Gift. How about your strength? Gift. Health? Gift. gift. Gift, 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 gift. Every bit of it. So when we see or taste or smell or hear or touch anything that pleases us, we are encountering the gift of God made you know what he did? God made it for you to enjoy. He made it for you to enjoy. First Timothy six 7, seventeen says this As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, and listen to this, who rightly provides us with everything to enjoy. Did you hear that? Who provides us with everything. And why, he says, does he provide it? To enjoy. Enjoy. So God has created this earth and everything in it as a gift for us to enjoy. The, the idea is that this is how it should work. We're supposed to smell a rose, take in the delight of it. Oh, that's amazing. Wow. Wow. And then turn our hearts towards heaven and say, thank you, Father, for this tremendous gift. Father, this is your gift to me. That's what it is. He's saying, here's my gift to you. Here's my gift to you. Do you like it? Do you like it? Oh, I love it. Thank you. And that's, that's the whole, that's it. That's what it's about. Oh, thank you. Father, thank you. That's awesome. That's it right there. I gave you my gift. And, and the response is one, to look to heaven and say thank you. Psalm 19, beginning at verse 1, says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows forth his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. And it jumps down and says, Their voice goes out throughout all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. What's he saying? He's saying, night, day, ferment, earth, everything. What's You know what's happening? It's shouting to you. It's declaring to you. It's speaking to you. It's revealing knowledge. Of who? The one who created it. Of God. The character and nature of God is coming out. So a person who goes through life, walks through life and enjoys things and sees things and tastes things and hears things, is experiencing the goodness, the goodness and glory of God. is being declared to them. It's shouting in their ears, Isn't God awesome? Isn't God amazing? Isn't God good? Isn't God glorious? Isn't God beautiful? Isn't God oh, mind-blowing? Wow! Just think of the good night's sleep. Or a smiling baby, or a morning coffee, or the smell of a rose, as I mentioned, the sight of a the sight of a sunset, or the love of a, new, a love of a newly engaged couple, or the taste of a watermelon, or the sound of your favorite band. What is being declared to you? What does this tell you? What does this tell you about your God? So many people think all these things that they enjoy in life, they separate them as if God's up in heaven, and here we are enjoying all these delights. That's just so so crazy because it's it's not the case at all. I don't care how wicked you are and how much of a sinner you are. Did you enjoy that? Do you know what happened? My heavenly Father said, Here, here. Won't you enjoy this? And they took it and enjoyed it and burped. Said, that was great. Is there any more? And know what? The father goes, yeah, there's more. Enjoy that? Yeah, that was fantastic. Love that. And they burped. And that's it. And then he says, you know what? Okay, let me do it again. And again, and again, our God is so good. So here's the, here's what we have to realize, that the world is shouting to you, it's declaring to you, it's dripping all over the place, your God is so good. So when you go to the grocery store and see 50 different kinds of fruit that smell, look, and taste different, yet they're all sweet and Delicious. What is that saying? My God, is awesome. <laughs> he He didn't just create one fruit. He created hundreds of different fruits. And he made them all different. And you smell them and they smell different. And you, you you touch them and they touch, they have a different touch to them, texture to them. They they look different. Everything's different. And they're and you taste and it's delightful. And he's like, What did you think? It was amazing. Thank you, Father. Thank you for this gift. You know, this is all of life as we walk through and as if we just slow down and understand what's happening. Like as Mike mentioned in the call, you, you know, all the different kinds of crinkle chips. So that's the word you use, right? Yeah. Crinkle chips. It's like, if that weren't enough, God says, is that enough? He, let's add more. Try Doritos. <laughs> Try Doritos. Just turn, turn down the next aisle. And then the next aisle. Especially this particular country. There's been so much production. So much fruitfulness. So much blessing. God has just poured it on. It's just all around us. We, we're, we're, we're stuck with indecision because there's too many choices. I can't pick a chocolate bar. There's 800 of them. Goodness all around us. And yet, and yet we complain or we grumble. Because they didn't have the one we, that one we wanted. Wow. You know when we see the sunset in the Puget Sound and the glories of it cause you to marvel. Do you know what your father's saying to you? It's a gift. This is for you. What do you think? <laughs> It's unbelievable, Father. I thank you, thank you so much. And this is what it's all. Everywhere you turn, look at how this goes with this, and you see this. You see the water against the hills and the trees, and and then and then the the blue sky and the wispy clouds, and you see it all together. And and you you don't even have words to express it. And you're looking at it like, oh wow, that's unbelievable. And the Father says, yeah, and I made it for you. I made it for you to enjoy. We have no idea how good God is. Because I, don't, I guarantee you, you think, in your mind, imagine how good he is. Let me just tell you, you're not close. Because his goodness is infinite. And you, we all finite creatures have problems with infinite. Always. I want to challenge you to go throughout your day, to go throughout your weeks and months and years, to go from here even this morning. And to take time to get out of your problems, your cares, your concerns, the busyness of life, right? Don't you guys, it's getting busy right now, isn't it? We're now hitting the season where, okay, guys, let's go. Schools, it's here. We're hitting school's happening, life's happening, everything's crazy, and it's so easy to get caught up in all this stuff. Because you've got so much to do. You don't have time. But I tell you what, in the midst of all this, you know, your, your main objective in life is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Not to make sure you have all your ducks in a row like you've got to get your priorities straight and you've got to understand that moment by moment day by day you are passing by hundreds of thousands of gifts that God has given to you and he's saying what do you think what do you think and we're not even noticing oh i got uh i got to, I got to get to that meeting oh, i got to, i got to, got to buy that curriculum and get the groceries somehow and then get back and, and then i got to get get to work i got to talk to that guy I got to meet with them and then we got got to get the kids to soccer uh, and then somehow we got to fit dinner in there. Then that's our life, right? Eight hundred miles an hour, flying by everything, and and we didn't notice. It's all around us, you know. When you see, hear, taste, smell, touch, any kind of goodness, pause. Pause and say, thank you, Father. Thank you. And let the, let the goodness hit you. It'll change your heart. Because every, every little morsel of goodness is God saying to you, hey, 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 Dean, it's my gift to you. What do you think? Oh, it's amazing, Father. Thank you. I I can let me just let me just testify to you about my own life and what's been happening in my own life even practically as I've been applying this. I've, I've been as I take the time to stop, smell, taste, see, and notice. And I and I I have this thought. God saying to me, Dean, this is my gift to you. What do you think? It's like God, this is this is your gift to me. God, this is your gift to me. God, this is your gift to me. And I say thank you. It's like my my heart is enlarging. My love towards God is enlarging. My, my the goodness of my God is enlarging, and He's just becoming more and more awesome, more and more good, more and more delightful. And then I I want to give to Him more. I want to serve Him more. I I, I, I want to delight in Him more. And so instead of just seeing the gift or just, you know, going about life, I'm seeing my Heavenly Father pouring out goodness upon me. And it's all over the place if you'll take the time to notice. I challenge you to do that. And here, remember this, because this is this is key. It's like when you see it, say, this is God's gift to me. Father, this is your gift to me. I thank you. This is your gift to me. Look, look at a butterfly and say, Father, this is your gift to me. Thank you. Look at look at a rose petal and say, Father, this is your gift to me. Thank you. L- look at the, 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 the heavens and say, Father, this is your gift to me. Thank you. I tell you what, that'll change your life right there. And your God will start to overwhelm you with his goodness. First Timothy 4.4 says, For everything created by God is good. And nothing is to be rejected if it's received with gratitude. You hear that? Everything, everything created by God is good. Because He is good. And nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. May that may that be our heart. And may we, we come to know that in reality. You know, there's another way I want us to see the supreme goodness of God, not just in creation, but in Israel's history. Because Israel's history dramatically reveals the goodness of God. Her history is one of wandering away from God and turning to other gods. But then God brings judgment on his people. His people repent. They cry out to him, and guess what he does? He saves them. This is the clear and repeated story throughout the book of Judges. In Judges chapter 3, verses 7 through 9, it says, And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. This is a pattern. They forgot the Lord their God, and they served the Baals and the Ashtoreth. Therefore the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he sold them into the hand of cushan Rishatham, king of Mesopotamia. And the people of Israel served cushan Rishatham eight years. But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, guess what the Lord did? The Lord raised up a deliverer for the people of Israel who saved them. Othniel, son of Canaz, Caleb's younger brother. And then what happens? Well, everything is good for a little while, but then the, that judge dies, and this is what happens next. Judges 3, 12 through 15. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord strengthened Eglon, king of Moab, against Israel, because they had done what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He gathered together himself the Amorites and the Amalekites, and he went and defeated Israel. And they took possession of the city of Palms. And the people of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, 18 years. Then the people of Israel, guess what they did? They cried out to the Lord. Guess what he did? The Lord raised up for them a deliverer, Ehud, the son of Girah the Benjamite, a left-handed man. This exact pattern happens seven times throughout the book of Judges. And the reason it happens seven times, what did we talk about last time? Seven, bingo, seven times, seven cycles. cycles—is to show the perfect and complete depiction of God and his people. And what is this depiction? What is this picture? God is perfect. He is complete in his salvation. He's a perfect and complete Savior. His people are perfect and complete sinners. That's the cycle. That's the pattern. Here, here's one thing's true. They do what's evil in the sight of the Lord. He brings judgment. They cry out, repent. He saves them. God is a perfect Savior. He is good to the bone, so to speak. Deep down good. This same same pattern happens throughout the prophets. Especially the book of Isaiah. I could read for probably an hour straight of all the different patterns throughout Isaiah and the scriptures that talk about this and how this works itself out. God's people, Israel, has departed from him. They become evil. They're sinning. And then God, he he calls out to them. He cries out to them. He declares to them his, his love towards them throughout. Let's look at a couple of examples. Isaiah 1, uh, chapter 1, verses 16 through 18. It says this in regard to God's people. He says, Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they'll become like wool. And then there's Isaiah 12, one through two. You will say in that day, I will give thanks to the Lord, to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away, that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid, for the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. The Lord was angry with me. He turned away in his anger, and we sought him, and the Lord saved us. This pattern, sinning Israel, turning away, turn to the Lord, the Lord saves them. He's calling out, he saves them. Isaiah 14.1 declares, for the Lord will have compassion on Jacob, and will again choose Israel, no matter how many times they keep doing this. And, he'll, and, and, and will set them in their own land, and sojourners will join them, and will attach themselves to the house of Jacob. Isaiah 40, 1 and 2. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare has ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Isaiah 44, 21 through 22. The Lord says, Israel, remember this. Remember that you are my servant. I created you to be my servant and I will never forget you. I have swept away your sins like a cloud. Come back to me. I am the one who saves you. Isaiah 55, 6-7 through seven, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon And then right near the end of Isaiah in chapter sixty-five, one through 5, it says this, I was ready to be sought, this is God speaking, I was ready to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I was ready to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am to a nation that was not called by my name. I spread out my hands all day long to a a rebellious people who walk in a way that's not good, following their own devices, a people who provoke me to my face continually, sacrificing in gardens and making offerings on bricks, who sit in tombs and spend the night in secret places, who eat pig's flesh and broth tainted of meat in their vessels, who say, keep to yourself, do not come near me, for I am too holy. I've sought this people day and night. I, I still hold my hands open to them. These are the people God has patiently loved and been good to and has constantly forgiven them, constantly sought them. And what's even more amazing is God was going to save, forgive, and redeem these people in a way that we often can't even comprehend. He revealed this in Isaiah when he was going, he says, the suffering servant was going to come to you. And here's, the, here's this mind-blowing idea. God himself says, I'm going to come to you. And you know what? This salvation is going to be provided to you in a way that's just unbelievable. You know why? I am actually going to come and suffer and die for you. Isaiah 53, 5 and 6 says, he was pierced through for our transgressions. For our transgressions, he was crushed. For our iniquities, the chastening for our well-being fell on him, and by his scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray, each of us has turned his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us to fall on him. So we've gone astray, we've wandered away, we've took and done our own thing, we've abused all his gifts, we used all his gifts, we enjoyed all his gifts, we just went and did our own thing, served other gods, did other things, and God sought and sought and sought and came after us, and then he does the ultimate thing. He lays down his life. He suffers for them and dies. That's the ultimate expression of God's goodness. And this is why, above everything else, Jesus' ministry manifests the goodness of God. Romans 5, 7 through 11 says, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. Maybe. So maybe someone would die for a righteous person. Someone uh, I could see someone dying for a good person. That might happen. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we now have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. You know, there's nothing greater that speaks of the goodness of God, the sheer goodness of God, than his willingness to suffer, to die for the very people who would cause him to suffer and die. The very people, he says, I will die for the people who kill me. I will suffer and die at the hands of the people who cause me to suffer and die. That's a goodness. That's a love that unless God helps us to see, you can't even comprehend it. You can't, you you just can't get your head around it because We are the kind of people who don't love like that. That would be, that's kind of like, that's why God can say, I am love. Want me to prove that I am love? I will love the very person and thing that hates me, despises me, and kills me. What? Yeah. I'm going to give myself in full love for the one that absolutely hates me and actually the one that's going to kill me. Really? Well, I don't know about you, but I tend to love the lovely. I tend to love the lovable. I tend to love the things that are good and beautiful. I tend to love and go after you know that which is good. And I tend to hate the hateful. I tend to despise despisers. I tend to reject rejecters. <laughs> and in our flesh, every single one of us is the same, so we have a hard time comprehending this love. Because you and I don't naturally, in our flesh, we don't love like this. That's not who we love. That's why when Jesus says, love your enemies, What? Love those who hate you and persecute you. What are you talking about? No, Those are the people, you hate those who hate you. Let's get this straight. You love those who love you. No, not God. Because God is love. Pure love. And Jesus came to show us this very thing. The heart of every sinner is to love God what's lovable. The heart of God is to love even if it's unlovable. This is why when we call ourselves, who are we by nature? What is our nature apart from God? Sinner. And a sinner by nature is self-centered and only looks to God and others for what they can give And I will take and get stuff that's good for me even if it costs you. Exact opposite of what God is like. God love; He is love. By his nature, he is love. So he loves even when the thing itself hates him. He loves it. Has compassion on it. You know, when the Holy Spirit takes a sinner and allows them to see that they're an awful sinner and God is holy, awesome, and good, <laughs> and sees the work of Jesus Christ in his ministry, and when a, this sinner sees the goodness of God in the, in the work of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, that leads him to repentance. He falls before, and he believes, and he cries out, and God shows him mercy and puts his spirit in him and begins to change him. And sheds, this love of God is shed in his heart. He sees and he knows and he, and he's overwhelmed by the love of God and the love of God transforms him. He's known the love of God. And now you want to love. Why do I want to love? Because God so loved me and he put his spirit in me and he's affecting me. And now we're torn creatures because we know in our flesh we still carry on this, around this body of death. We know that in our flesh, in my flesh, I still love the lovely, but in, according to the spirit, I love those even who hate me. I have, I have compassion on people. Why do I, I love them? Because the love of God was shed in my heart. This is the goodness of God is poured into us. And this is why somebody who does not love, does not even love those who hate them, does not love their enemies, and has, he can't see and understand it, has not known love. Has not, the love of God has not been poured into their hearts. And this is why you have to know the love of God. You have to know the goodness of God. And when you do know it and you do see it, you turn, you repent, and And you go after it. You love it yourself. You delight in it. It's the greatest expression of goodness there is. The work of Jesus. I just want to add to this and conclude with this section here, the blessings. Another way that this goodness is expressed is in the blessings of Christ demonstrated, not just in the cross, but in what he does for us, the blessings we receive. We're not just forgiven. We're not just, yeah, you're forgiven and you'll go to heaven someday. That'll be cool. No, it is, it is more than we could think or imagine what's happened to us. The goodness that happens to us in Christ because we are in Him and we're taking out, we were outside of Him and now we're placed in Him and now we're in Christ. We're not just forgiven, but according to Paul in Ephesians chapter one, you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. Which is another mind blower that unless God gives us eyes to see, we can't understand. Realize in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul prays for the Ephesians. He says, these are the blessings. He's blessed you, and he's chosen you. He's loved you. He's forgiven you. He's joined them to yourself. He's given you inheritance. He's given you the Spirit, and there's great things coming. And then Paul's just going on, run-on sentences. It's a sentence that goes on for almost two chapters. He can't stop himself. He's just going and going and going. And in chapter 1, verses 16 through 23, he says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of what he's called you to, what are the glorious riches of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. The same power, he says, that will raise Jesus from the dead. This truth is so awesome and astounding that Paul prays that the Ephesians, he's like, oh, that the eyes of your understanding would be opened. That you would understand the glorious riches that you have in Christ Jesus. And you would, you would be able to comprehend and understand the great power of God towards you. That you would understand the power, what you possess in Christ. That you would realize that you're seated with Christ in, in, in the heavenlies. That you're co with Christ. That you're united to him. What his is yours. This is, is beyond comprehension. That God would take us, unite us to himself in Christ, and then seat us with Jesus in the heavenlies above all rule, authority, and power in all that is named. We are with Christ in the heavenlies. Do we look around this world and realize that the sons of God, those who are united to Christ, have authority and power and dominion and rule and glory that is just mind-boggling. And when we comprehend it, we can kind of comprehend it. This is why Paul's praying for him, that you could somehow comprehend it. He knows it's a game-changer. It's a life-changer. Here's the other thing. You become unstoppable. Because anybody who sees and knows God, who understands who he is, and casts themselves wholly upon him, and trust him completely because they see him, they are dangerous people. (laughs) Dangerous people. They that know their God display strength and take action. They're no longer afraid of anybody or anything. They know that their God in heaven is so good that he is with them in power and might, that they belong to Jesus. They know who they are and they know what they possess. It's like Paul says, man, if you knew, you'd be able to be like me and go before synagogues and councils and be whipped and stoned and you would have no problem with it because you know in whose hands you are. You know who's with you. You know the God in whom you serve. You would know and understand and act in a way that would transform you. This is also why he says in chapters 3 that you might know the height, The depth, the width, the breadth of the love of Christ. He says, because if it's, and by the way, it does surpass understanding. But if you knew it, you'd be filled with the fullness of God. It's, this is why seeing, just purely seeing and knowing God, if you could, and if, if God grants you grace to see and know and understand Him, you will cast yourself so headlong upon Him, give yourself so heartily to Him, trust Him in every circumstance and situation that it is a game changer your life will be changed forever. The demons know this. The devil knows this. The one thing he is going to try to do for the rest of his life is destroy you somehow to stop you from understanding who you are and what you possess in Christ. From helping you to confuse and pervert and twist who your heavenly father is. In the garden in the beginning, did God really say? He's actively, right away, perverting and twisting the nature and the character of God and who he is. And I'll guarantee in your life, if you have any reservation, if you doubt, if you hold back, if you don't fully trust and cast your heart upon God, I'll guarantee you, it's because you do not know his goodness. You doubt, you wonder, you question. If you saw him and if you knew him, you would cast yourself headlong upon him. And you would live for him in a way you've never known. You'd be filled with the fullness of God. You would be dangerous. <laughs> dangerous. And that your enemy knows this. Man, if you could cry out to God for one thing, is that you would see him. That you would know him. That you would ha- you would understand who he is. And that every lie would be cast out and that you would truly know the truth. Because if you know the truth, you'll be set free. Jesus came that you might have life and have it to the fullest. And this comes through knowing Him. Knowing Him. It's like understanding, having eyes to see Him. If you got and understood how... Let's think of what we talked about. How awesome He is, how powerful He is, and how good He is. I'm telling you what. Nothing stands in your way because you, you, you just serve Him with a total abandonment. Goodness flows in. And then goodness flows out. You see people who flow, what flows out of their life is goodness and love. I'll show you a person who knows the love of God, who knows the goodness of God. Goodness flows out because goodness went in. Their eyes have been opened. They've seen the Lord. It's like that person knows the Lord. You can't make it up. You can't gin it up. You can't, I'm gonna love God more. Go for it. Try that out for a day or two. It won't happen. You can try to work harder, you can try to believe harder, but what you need is a is a you need to see God. You need to know him. That's it. That's if you see him and if you know him, and if your eyes have seen the Lord, it's like that's why Moses even clings. He says, I want to see you. God just show me your face, show me your glory. Well. God says, "Well, I can't show you all of it. If I showed you my glory, you'd explode." But I'll tell you what: God was interested in communing and drawing near and allowing him to see. But he, he couldn't—he couldn't allow him to see it all because if he saw it all, if he knew it all, he—he he, he would be undone. He would die. But God's interested in showing you Himself. Seek, and you shall find. Do you know when we understand? the greatest treasure in the world is not God's gifts, but God himself will be like that man who went into a field and saw that this field possessed a treasure, a great treasure and went and sold everything that he had that he might possess the field and with the field, the treasure because he knew the treasure. That's like anybody and everybody who knows who God is. You know how good he is, that he is the supreme good. You will sell all, give all, reject all for him. Him, you, you you begin to think, oh, heaven is going to be so awesome. Oh, unbelievable. Why? We get to behold Him. To know Him. And the reason we struggle with this, the reason we struggle with him, and the reason we think so often about his gifts, the things that come from him, is we don't know him. The gifts are merely trying to help you see. If that's good, if the gift is good, how much better is the giver of the gift? If you delighted in that, if you enjoyed that, I mean, how was that dinner last night? How was that time with your spouse? How was that smile from your child who said thank you? How was it? It was awesome. Just think of how much greater how much greater the one who gave it is. The one who, who the one who gave it. It's so much better. And in fact, if you think he's awesome, you're not close. You got a lot to learn. You you kind of know him. You're kind of getting to know him. And that's how I feel. I feel like an infant child that's getting to know him. But the more I know him, the more I want to know him. I want to, I want more. More of you, Lord. Help me to see you. And that's my prayer for us, that we would see him, that we would know him. Because if you taste and see that the Lord is good, you'll be undone. And he will be your ultimate treasure. He will become everything. And then everything that you, he gives you is just candy. And everything you enjoy, you'll be one happy f- person. As you take the gifts, as you sip the wine, you eat the cheese, you enjoy the, the day, look around and say, God, you're good. This is He's saying to you, this is my gift to you. This is my gift to you. And I just love giving. I'll give, 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 because that's who I am. And I I give. I give, I give, I give. Why do you think God loves a cheerful giver? (laughs) Because he's like, that's what I'm like. That's what I love to do. May God grant us all grace to see the supreme goodness of God. And I tell you, we will be different people. Amen. Father, we thank you so much. For you are so, so, so good. And I'm so thankful that you allow us to taste and to see and to know you, if only in part. I know for a a fact that I don't know you as I want to know you, that I don't know you as I ought to know you. Oh, Lord, I pray for these people and I lift them all before you and I ask that you would reveal yourself to, to them and to me and to all of us. Show us yourself. Show us your goodness that we truly might know and see the height and depth and breadth and width of the love of Christ. That we would know him. And we get to see and we could comprehend and we could understand your goodness and your love. Help these people. Help us. Have mercy on us, because Lord, unless you open our eyes, unless you allow us to see, we're so blind and dumb. Have mercy on us, because we ask it in Jesus, and pour out your Spirit on us, and open our eyes. Amen.